0: Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. What's happening, guys? Happy Friday! And thank you for joining another special episode of Your Welcome presented to you by DraftKings Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of the UFC. Download the DraftKings app, do it today, and use the promo code CHAIL to get in on all the action. My apologies about no show on Wednesday. I was on the road, but I'm going to tell you some stories of my travels in just a moment. Coming up on today's show, I'm going to talk about what happened at UFC 279. I'm also going to discuss the futures of Nate Diaz and Tony Ferguson. All of that and more later. But let's begin by discussing a busy couple days for Uncle Chael. Spent the last couple of days on a press tour. Ariel Helwani has some level of a deal with Showtime. But MVP, most valuable promotion, specifically Ariel's their guy in some regard. I don't know what that title would be. And Ariel double books. He tells them, yes, I'll be here. He's got something else. He can't be in two places. We call jail. You got to help me here. You got to step in. So I fill in for Ariel. Now, those are big shoes, and that's not something that I do. But I have a a larger problem, which is Anderson Silva is going to be 50% of this. Now, I have good memories with Anderson. I have things that I don't have the same stresses about that I would have. From a financial standpoint... Because of business I did with Anderson. That's true. I don't know that he feels the same way. I don't know because I have not seen Anderson Silva since I got out of the cage with him. just haven't seen him. The way time goes by. For me, those fights were yesterday. For Anderson, those were probably some fun moments along the way. But see, I didn't have a whole bunch of those like he did. This was my moment. I remember him, and I remember him differently than he might recall. I don't know. I don't know. Haven't seen him, haven't talked to him. So The way this works, he's in a room, called like a holding room. Paul's in a holding room. Chael's in a different room. So when we walk out, boom, I'm on stage first. I've now got notes. I got a way that this is going to go. Introduce Anderson Silva, introduce Jake Paul. Boom, I go right down the notes at Showtime, hands over. They come walking on the stage. But this now represents the first time I've seen Anderson in any capacity where I do not have one idea in mind, which is to hit him. But I don't know if he feels that same way. And I would never do what we call going into business for yourself, where I'm out there in this trusted capacity, but it's also live, and I, I can go do something that I think sets myself up. I would not do that. That would be unprofessional to the highest of level. And don't forget, I'm representing Ariel. So if I go and I do a double cross, I go into business for myself, It also hurts Ariel. It's one of these things, but these things are going through my mind. So when Anderson walks on stage, I'm, of course, going to greet him in some fashion. Is he going to greet me back? What is this going to be like? It was great. It was great. Because you got to shake hands and walk away. It is a paramount piece of our sport. I don't think you need to say nice things about the guy. I don't think you need to bow to a guy. I don't think you don't need to have an energy and emotion when you're face-to-face at away-ins. When it comes to its conclusion, I believe within my code, you shake hands and you walk away. That's what I believe. But I didn't know if Anderson did. Okay, great. Turns out he does. Bygones are bygones. He's going to move on. And we have a very nice interaction. Now, I do have one piece of closure. Within my own story of Anderson Silva, and it had to do with his children, and here's why. I invoked Anderson's family at one point. I actually even denied doing this one time. I didn't, I forgot it happened. We were doing so much media and so much press. At somewhere in there, I say, I'm coming to his house, I'm kicking his back door in. I'm going to pat his old lady on the ass and have her make me a steak, medium rare, just the way I like it. Fine. Fine. I had a million going in the same day. This one happened. Somebody even asked me about it. It was Dan Levitore. Hey, you're talking about his wife. Going to little two for... Man, Levitore... Somebody lied to you. I have never talked it about an opponent's wife, nor would I. Well, it's pretty close right there. Pat his old lady on the ass and make her make me a step... But I had forgotten that this had even happened. Well, of all the things that I did and all the agitating I did, that's the one that Anderson remembers. There was more on that statement... Then I knew, hold that thought because when I get done with Anderson, we're completely done. His two sons are right here. And we end up in a hallway going to the press conference, but Anderson's already walked in the room. So he parted with the boys to take his seat on stage. Now I'm there waiting for them to bring me in. So it's me and the boys. I was very inclined to go over, get down on a knee. So we're, we're eye to eye, shake their hands and say to them, I don't think you're going to understand this right now, but your father and I as opponents also were in business together. And I just, I just wanted to make peace. I didn't want them to be scared. And I looked over to him. I looked over to him and they looked at me and they had a look on their face like, whoa, dad, come back, come back. The evil monster is, is right here. So I didn't think it'd be appropriate. I didn't think it would be appropriate to go up to the kids when their dad wasn't there. Introduce my, no matter what I was going to say. And I didn't do it. I didn't do it. But I always wish that I had, like somewhere within me of all the things, right? I knew how to defend a triangle, all right? All the things that you would think that I I, will go through my mind on that fight. This moment is one of them. I just never had closure with the family. So I'm in a bathroom in Los Angeles. This young man's in there. He's drying his hands, got the towel, drying his hands off. We start talking. And very sweet, very charismatic, right? Like his face and eyes lit up. And it finally dawns on me, this is Anderson's son. When I saw him, he was 12, 13 years old. It's been a decade. He's a man now. And this is that same kid. So I asked him that. I said, are you Anderson's boy? And he said, yeah. And I I told him a story. I said, I saw you and your brother at the press conference. I wanted to come over and say hello. Well, he remembered it too. He knew exactly the moment I was looking at, when I looked at him, when his dad had just left, when he was there with his brother. He remembered the entire thing. Now, I know that sounds simple. Possibly didn't even wildly entertain you guys. It was for me. This was a a, a for me moment. But I did get to shake his hand. I did get to wish him well. I follow his career. I follow his brother's career. I follow Vandalay Silva's son, but it's, I'm reading about it online. I'm doing Google searches. I'm reading. Hard to get those videos. Hard to watch those matches live. That will change once they make their way up, but it was just a reality. I got to say hello. We got to bury a hatchet. Is that how they say it? not a huge fan of that, by the way. I like a little conflict. I like a little back and forth, but not to extend to his son. So I said my peace to him, we're able to walk away. And for the first time in my life, I do feel as though for that big moment within my life, I do feel as though I have closure. Logan Paul and Chail just aren't going to be friends. Right, that's a real simple one, right? There's things that are, are going to stop us. It'll start with me. I'm not going to like those two. First off, they're a package deal, Paul Brothers. Secondly, there's no room for us here. I have an ego. Within that ego comes, I would never talk about this publicly. I would never just keep this private between us. Within that ego, I have something known as jealousy. Now, where's jealousy going to come? I got an Instagram page, popular one, does really well. They have bigger Instagram pages. So right there, we aren't going to get along. Now, you could carry that over to Twitter. You could carry that over to Facebook. We're talking about social media, right? I have a massive presence on YouTube. Massive. They have more of a presence on YouTube. You see, we're just not going to get along. I want to fight. I want to be on posters. I want to walk out in front of all of you, and I want to do it last. I want to do it in a main event fashion against opponents that you want to see me matched up with. They are doing it. So you see, we're we're not going to get along. There's going to be envy. I'm going to pretend to be nice. They're going to pretend something to me. I'm then going to come over here. I'm going to bury them. And they can go over on and we can have a back and forth. But that's what this is going to be. Can we all agree on that? Without even going in, can we all agree on that? Then imagine my disappointment when I meet these two, and it turns out they're great people. I will tell you, I did not see that coming. It's not a matter of just how you meet me, but I'm here. You guys would want to know that, right? Aside from the grossness of, of injecting myself into the store, but you guys want to know that. You guys will want, well, Chael, what were they like? And it'd be the same thing if it was you guys. And I was talking to you, right? I care about your opinion. I care how people treat you. Believe me, somebody comes out there giving you a hard time. I got a problem with that person right away. I would want to hear if you met one of the Paul brothers. I want to know how they treated you. I want to know how they acted. So now it's not just me. Oh, you're Chael, and they... But let me stop you right there. I observed these boys. I observed this family for many, many hours from across a room, from in the same building but in different spots. They treated everybody that way. It wouldn't matter if you were the good men and women that were cleaning up the building of the night. You got treated the same as the head of Showtime did. You just did by these guys. They don't know their stars. They're a couple of hard-working brothers that had a dream. They didn't let us in on it. They didn't tell us they want to go and be boxers or do a form of combat. We've known that they were interested. I watched Jake Paul fight AJ Aga's arm, which is out on YouTube right now. They got nothing, but they just wanted to do it. They like lived in the same building and Jake knew who AJ, and he's like, oh man, I really want to do it. Here, let's fight. That truly is how it happened. With no experience, he just goes down and fights AJ Agassar. Okay, great, because Logan did the same thing with Paulo Costa. And you guys gave me a hard time. I told you that Paulo knocked Logan out. And you guys said, what are you, a fool? Did you not think that he was kidding? No, I didn't think he was kidding. Am I a fool about that? Those punches were real. And whether, whether Logan chose to go down as the way of finishing the sequence, it still wouldn't take away from my point. But to answer the question you asked me, no, I did not think he went down by choice. Those were very hard sparring rounds against the guy they know as the Terminator. Oh, by the way, you have no experience. You're just a fan and you like it. Yeah, I think these are tough guys. Yes, I do. They were also childhood stars. Now, I come across folks like this. They live in a town called Hollywood. If I had to get from Beverly Hills to Dana Point, which takes me right through, I will I'll go 80 miles east just to not drive through the property line with my children in the car. I don't want them to see anything about it. It's disgusting, in my opinion. And I've met people that were born into that life like the Paul brothers. They're disgusting. It's the way it grows up. But, but they weren't. How come? I was so annoyed by this. I was so annoyed at what pleasant human beings They were. How come? Well, you know what? Come to think of it, they didn't grow up in Hollywood. That story's a little bit mistold. They grew up in Ohio, and their dad had an idea and grabbed a camera and started putting them on it. Oh, and by the way, you guys chose to like them. These are regular guys. These strike me as the kids that come home from making a million dollars at work. And then the mom makes one of them go upstairs and clean this room, the other one has got to go down and clean that room. You know, kids with chores, but kids with chores are different. Kids that have response, but kids that are given excitement, it's different. And if that was you, then you hated doing the chores the same as I did. But it did teach you some lessons. And when you become a parent, you'll make sure that your kids have a level of responsibility. This is what you take up, and they'll have chores. When I met the Paul brothers, I swear to goodness, guys. I just want to bring this. I just, you know, hey, jail, you were, you were out there. You're one of us. Come and tell us what happened. They're one of us, too. Jake Paul doesn't know he's famous. Logan Paul has not the foggiest idea that the whole world knows who he is. I mean, I'm telling you, by the way these guys act. So now you come down to, how'd you get these skills? And that has been a genuine question that I've had, just because boxing is a lifetime of work. Brian Stan has talked about this. Brian Stan's the only one to talk about it. I'm stealing all of this from him, but Brian Stan talks about something known as lactic acid. And you must spend generations, right, from 9 years old to fifty, from 15 to 25, from 25, you must spend generations of your life working on physical exertion if you hope someday to go into combat, where you're and your exhaustion and your ability to lock your hands and keep a grip and do it again and again and have that hold up, you must lifetime of lactic acid build up. To be able to get there. Won't matter what kind of shape you're in. You can't go into combat. You may have ran marathons, which I would put that you're in fantastic shape if you did one. Congratulations. You might have done triathlons, which I would put as you're in fantastic shape. Congratulations. And you can't go 25 seconds in MMA, and it's about lactic acid. This is what Brian Stan speaks about. But it's a very real thing, and for the Pauls to be able to do it on any level, how? How? I I recognize you're strong boys. I recognize you probably wrestled. I know, I know a lot of brothers out there and they both end up being pretty tough because they were in the living room every morning, pushing and pulling on one. another. I get, I get that you guys did high school wrestling. I get it. I get it. How long have you been boxing? And moreover, and I asked this straight up to Jake. When? When? They're in front of the, us all the time. I feel like I've got tabs on them both 24 hours a day. I really feel like that, but I know that you need, it's not one hard workout that you go get in. It's not you're on the road, you pop into the workout room at the hotel and you go run some on and You're sweating and you're tired. That, good job, that, that's called exercise. I'm talking about training for a fight with another guy training for a fight, looking to damage you, not to get exposure with you, not to get on a poster with you, he is looking to damage you. That is strong language. And it is precisely what the Unified Rules call for first. First thing is damage. When are you doing this? You have to be getting up and you have to be getting something called road work or your conditioning doesn't hold. There's things that you have to do. I just asked Jake the damn question. How long have you guys had this fantasy? How long have you been in the gym? And by the way, on a daily basis, what does a training schedule look like? And quite frankly, Jake didn't understand why I was enthralled with that. He thinks there's plenty of hours in the day. Yeah, maybe I don't, maybe I got to cut into my sleep to get everything done. But I go and get an hour in in the morning, road work and hit some weights. Come back in the afternoon, it's a little less than two hours. I have another 21 hours in my day, and instead of taking naps and playing video games, this is what he said, like a lot of fighters are known to do. I go work. Okay. That was our answer. But he also revealed for us for the last four years. So don't forget, this is a guy that came through high school wrestling. That also is twice a day, every single day. Now he takes a break, right? He's 18, he's 19-year-old, he, t- he takes a break. So he's about 22. And then he begins to chase this dream. I just think it speaks a little bit and gives us a little bit more clarity why he can hold up. Why he can be in the 8th round with guys like Tyron Woodley. Why he believes he can go 8 rounds hard with Anderson Silva. He's been out of 4 years, he's got that lactose acid. He checks a box that Brian Stant always looks for. And behind the scene with the Paul brothers, I couldn't, oh, I'm ready, I'm I'm, I'm so ready for these guys. Keep them away from jail, right? This is gonna be a code and everybody's gonna know it. These guys, not only were they very kind people, hey, they don't know they're famous. The NFL's opening week was action-packed. And guys, it's just getting started. Get ready for week two of touchdowns, big plays, and even bigger wins with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. This week, new customers can bet just $5. Do it on any football game you want. You're going to get $200 in free bets instantly. Want more action? Everyone can experience the thrill of DraftKings' early win promotion. It's simple. This Sunday, bet any NFL team to win. If your team leads by 10 points anywhere during the game, you get paid instantly, even if your team ends up losing. Fight fans, DraftKings Sportsbook has also got you covered. Don't forget about the highly anticipated trilogy happening in Vegas this Saturday, Canelo Alvarez versus Triple G. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app, do it right now, and use the promo code SHALE. That's going to get you $200 in free bets instantly when you place $5 on any football game. That's code CHAL. only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Jemayev and the weight Cut, story that won't seem to go away. There's a conspiracy out there somewhere that it was better for the card, and there was a talk that the doctor forced the weight cut to stop. There was a mention that once the weight was missed of Chemayev, a matchup with Diaz can no longer take place per the rules of the commission, who was not forced to rule on it, but they never asked because the rules were clear. Now, none of those words are mine. And let's just agree that we're going to move on. Let's just agree that these words have been said. Let's just agree that we're going to move on. Because I do think that we have, like any time with any athlete, a situation of what do we do next? I'm a believer. This is the coach in me. I work with kids. The coach in me says, if you're trying to make a weight class and you fail, you're too heavy. The weigh-in day has come. You knew about it. You had your choice of weights. You had preparation for it. You got no illness, no injury. Nothing threw you off. You did everything that you knew to do and you missed that weight. The coach and me with my teams I've worked with, you are now no longer that weight. You are now up a weight. And there's drastic situations where that can't absolutely be true. Again, I come from the wrestling world. So you got to have a wrestle off. You got a team. Let's call it 10 spots for simple math. You want to put your best guy on the mat in every single weight class. Well, let's say you have a hammer, and this happens all the time. You got an absolute stud. He's got to be here because an even bigger stud is his teammate who's one weight up. So if he goes and misses it, and we all go, well, you're in this weight class, and now you've got
1: a guy who's potentially a state champion. He just coincidentally can't beat the same guy in his room. And this, this is real. I'll personalize it. I was an NCAA All-American. I lost the
0: wrestle-off that year. I wasn't even varsity. Troy Hughes was. I wasn't even varsity. Troy ended up getting hurt. It ends up being my spot. And that's how we, uh, far I was able to go with it. But you do see that a lot. To where, hey, that weight, it, it does matter. And before we throw our hands up, we got to sit down really analytically and look at what we did and why we missed it. Right? Losing weight, gaining weight, it's, this isn't an overly complicated concept. It's calories into calories out. Cutting weight. And I know that you guys will hear these terms and they all mean the same thing. Cutting weight, losing weight, dieting, they all mean the same thing. No, they don't. And nobody on earth outside of combat athletes, the one recognized profession in the world where your boss is able to weigh you in, not only weigh you in, he will tell the world what you weigh. And if he doesn't like what you weighed in at, you don't get to go to work. Could you imagine that in any field? I mean, could you even imagine the words that I just said to you? You would have a lawsuit so fast, your head would spin. People in PR's mind, they would explode. I mean, it's a very rare thing. But now we're not just talking about calories into calories out. We're not just talking about dieting. We're not just talking about losing weight. You then have a whole other factor that you will have to trust from me when I tell you, because I'm one of that one-tenth, one-tenth of one-tenth of one-tenth of the population who's ever done it, actually cut weight. Now, when you cut weight, this is something very personal to you. And by the time you are a professional, you will for sure have that down. For example, guys, I can lose eight pounds in 90 minutes. For some of you, whoa, that was really impressive, Chael. I'd love to know your secret. But I can lose eight pounds in 90 minutes. And that's a for sure. I could do eight and a half. I could do nine. There's some, some conditions where that would go a little bit further. But for sure, if I've got to count on it, I will get off eight pounds in 90 minutes. I can lose a tenth of a pound every minute. So if I'm one pound over, I will need 10, ten minutes to lose one pound. This is what I'm fully hydrated. There's something known as floating weight. You guys ever hear that? Well, i go to bed, I'll float two pounds. Just so you understand, your metabolism isn't doing something weird. There's not some Santa Claus in the weight world that comes and removes fat and or muscle from your body. You're talking about urination. That's it. If you're a guy that sleeps for six hours, you're not a guy who's lost three pounds, pa- that floated three pounds. If you're a guy that lays in bed for 11 or 12 hours, You might get that two and a half pounds, but we're only talking about one thing, which is urination. If you are cutting weight, one of these very rare fields, if you're cutting weight and you then attempt to go to bed, first off, you're going to toss and turn, you're probably going to get zero sleep. When you're dehydrated to do anything, to do any focus, to to get comfort, enough to relax, enough to fall asleep is rare. But all the same, if you go to bed and you think, or somebody within your team told you, hey, you know, you probably float two pounds. Shoot, three weeks ago, remember when I stayed the night at your house, you floated two pounds. Well, it's totally different because you're talking about urination. And a guy that's dehydrated because of the process of cutting weight is not going to urinate any. Zero, not one-tenth of a pound. But you would know these things about yourself. You'll see people miss weight by five pounds. You'll see Charles Oliveira missed weight by a half a pound. Now, moreover, if we're just to stay on Charles Oliver because maybe that was the one that you were supposed to expose to, just to remind you how that worked. The window opens at nine, it closes at 11. Oliver was there at nine. I' don't know what exact, but he, he was in there nine, nine, 12, 9, 13 and more. He was there right in the beginning.
1: He then has essentially two hours. He was a half a pound over in those two
0: hours when he came back, closer to 11. He's still a half a pound over. And a lot of people had a problem with that. Chael Sonnen just told you that Chael Sonnen can lose eight pounds in 90 minutes. How could Charles Oliveira, with millions of dollars, a
1: reputation, and a championship on the line, not lose half a pound in 120 minutes? How? Well, guys, Charles Oliveira didn't have to lose a half a pound.
0: Just the same as Chamayev did not have to lose seven pounds, okay? Charles Oliveira had to lose another half a pound. Chamayev had to lose another seven pounds. That's a completely different conversation. And just to come back to myself, fully hydrated, feeling good, 90 minutes, eight pounds, goodbye. I could take those same 90 minutes... 15 hours later, where I'm sucked and drained out those same 90 minutes and be in the same spot as Oliveira, where I can't get off a half of a pound. At some point, your body
1: is going to quit giving that. So Chemayev in this weight cut story, he knows his body
0: the same as I do. And he knows what exercises he likes to do to cut weight. He talked about running for an hour and a half talked about a stationary bike. He talked about a sauna. Now I could step in there and give some massive corrections to each. Mike Dolce would have massive problems with the way that he cut weight. But either way, if this is what he's used to, let's not judge him. Here's what I'm speaking about. He also has his eight pounds in 90 minutes, whatever his might be. His might be six pounds and he needs two hours. but But he's got that same number and that same equation I just threw at you. And you know how many times you can do that for. And you know how much you're going to float overnight. You know all of these things about yourself to a masterful extent. To the point that when you show up on fight week, you could be 17 pounds over, you could be 22 pounds over, whatever your number is, but you know it. Let's say that your number's on fight week. When I show up, whatever it is I'm going to do, whatever apparatuses, whatever exercising, whatever floating I'm going to count on, I can get 20 pounds off between Tuesday when I landed and Friday at 9 a.m. where the finish line is. I can do 20 pounds. If you show up and you're 29 pounds over, there's no point in starting that process. If you know your number between here and here, and everybody does, you're a professional. You've been doing this your whole life. You've been doing this whole, your whole career. If you know that your number is 20 pounds, but you have
1: 29, you see that on the front end, this simply isn't going to happen. That's the spot that Shemiah found himself. Michael came out real open and just told us about it. He said, you know what? They moved the date of this fight.
0: That was our biggest problem. wasn't where we started at. It wasn't what we did in preparation. It's that finish line isn't where we had planned for it to be. It had moved on us. It moved back. And when, when we started, we were just too heavy. You know, you might not like that answer. Michael just told you the truth. There was nothing complex. There was no conspiracy here. It was as simple as that. It's calories into calories out. When you get to the weight cut process, you're not talking about sweat out specifically versus hours you have to do it. That's it. And Michael told the truth, which is when we started this, we were too heavy. I'll be very curious where Chemayev goes from here. Darren Till spoke about it, said 170. And he'll do it and he'll do it comfortably. And that's true. You don't always have to go to Chael's rule that if you miss this weight, you're no longer this weight. You, you don't always, always. Sometimes there are reasons. Reasons and excuses, I know they sound very close, but if if we put in conjunction what Michael said, where the finish line was just sooner than we planned for it to be, and everything was going great. Look, Chemiah may be telling a different story, but you're still talking about a guy changing his lifestyle and changing his physiology. It's very uncomfortable. The guys who you've seen retire from this sport, not the ones where the end came, not where a contract could no longer be given or promoted and it wanted, the guys who by choice walked away from their sport, or retiring for reasons that you don't know. It's not just that the, the performance or the outcome isn't what they want. It's what it entails to even get to that performance and that outcome. It's the early mornings. It's the late night. It's beating the scale the day before. I don't want to do this anymore. It's not just I don't have the ability to block and, and throw back. I don't want to be on that hill at 6 a.m. anymore. I don't want two and three a day. I don't want the travel. I don't want. There's just a number of things that go into it.
1: And I think for a young man like Chemayev to change your lifestyle to be at 170 pounds for what reason? And if the response is going to be because that's where he can win a championship, I'll listen.
0: It's just not her, It's just not the response that I've heard from day one. From day one, I've heard can also win a championship at, at 85. And he can also win a championship at 205. This is what I've heard. I've never heard anybody flinch on this. That includes you guys who love him and are are big believers. That belt is, is gold and 12 pounds at 170 pounds, but it's gold and 12 pounds at 185 pounds. You have a different path. If this is your journey and this is where you need to be, I'll listen. That's just not the answer that's ever been given. Shemiah will make this choice. He will make this choice absent of my opinion. But I hope that when he decides this, I hope that he does take into consideration that life is better, it's more enjoyable. From a professional standpoint, I must meet these numbers. And as a 25, could even be 26 by now, year young man... Shamayev should be, and according to the scale, is a middleweight. Staying at UFC 279, let's talk about the main event and its fallout by getting into the future of Nate Diaz and Tony Ferguson. What is Nate Diaz going to do now? More importantly, what does Nate Diaz do next? Now, we've written this, guys. We've written this all the way back to the very first day that Nate told us, I got one left on my UFC deal and I want out. We all decided he's gotta get out. The UFC is holding him up. The UFC is holding Nate up for a boxing match with Jake Paul. Wait, but then we, what? We made that up. We made that up, guys. That was a very sociopath move of us. Sociopaths, which are very rare to meet in life, are people that believe their own lies. We made that up, but then we forgot that we made it up. We forgot somewhere along the way that there was no actual source for that. Like, Ariel Helwani did not bring us that. Mark Ramondi did not bring us that. Just to remind you, this wasn't from Kevin Ioli. We did that. I forgot to, I forgot that we made it up. We didn't do it to start a lie. We thought we were right. We began to speculate. And now we have the evidence. We have the obvious evidence, which is Nate is trying to get out of his contract. Well, now we know, yeah, it's going to be Nate and Jake Paul. And you'll, you ever run into people that tell you it's the only thing that makes sense? If you're ever having an argument with somebody and you hear them say that, don't be a jerk to that person. You want to remain friends with them. You want to remain civil, but store it away. That you're now not with a sophisticated person. And if you ever catch yourself guessing how something is going to end, and the words coming out of your mouth to your adversary in the debate are, it's the only thing that makes sense. Realize that you've just lost. Whenever somebody tells you it's the only thing that makes sense,
1: okay, they are telegraphing and autographing for you the limited capacity of their own imagination. Whatever somebody says, it's got to be because that's the only thing
0: that makes sense. They've just told you that their ability to imagine and to be creative has come down to one thing. And those people are generally wrong. How many times have you ever heard somebody say, what's the only thing that makes sense? How many times have you heard them say that and then a little time goes by and it turns out that they're right? But this is what we did to Nate. With all of that said, I think that it's still an option that is very likely a leading candidate on the table. I think if Nate Diaz is the shiny trinket, right, and everybody was ready to do this fight, with in mind how you're going to put a Band-Aid on the idea that Nate just
1: got beat. He was a 12-to-1 underdog. He was expected by the public to be beat, but we still wanted to see him versus
0: Jake Paul. Now, if you were to do that, if Diaz goes out and gets destroyed, which is what 12-1 one, one means, if he goes out and he gets destroyed, oh, meanwhile, Jake beats Anderson. Jake's going to be this great, shiny thing, and Nate's going to be a guy that you love, but you still got a little crowd control to do over here. They still thought they could do a massive fight. We were in a very different spot now. That shiny trinket, of Nate Diaz he has never glimmered so bright, not in all of his days. Not even after the night that he upset the Irishman known as Conor McGregor, and that was a massive night. He has never been as beautiful and monetizable of a marquee as he is right now. Now, if Jake was to go and get the, the, the rub over Anderson, boom, I think we're right back here and we've got something really massive. But guys, we made that up. Why do we think that that's what Nate's going to go do? Why have we decided that? And if Nate is the shiny trinket, then how about if Anderson uh, beats Jake? I mean, one thing that that fight is going to need before that fight gets here is what are they fighting for? Like that has to be figured out in all fights if you want them to be big. What is on the line? It can't just be a little bit of money and a little bit of prestige. It can't be that. It's got to be something bigger because it's the main event. What is on the line? Drawing into Nate Diaz, It's a good answer. I don't know that it is the answer. I'm just sharing for you. If that's the direction that we're going and that's what Jake is looking for, that same conversation I I believe should be had with Anderson Silva. And I believe if that's the the way you're going, come and tell the audience and come and tell us ahead of time. Now save that thought because we're back to making things up. We don't know what's next for Jake. As a matter of fact, it was a week ago that Jesse on fire alerted me, and it was the first thing that I saw in the morning, that Brett Okamoto had tweeted out that Nate Diaz is going into the promotion business, as a matter of fact, will be pl- applying for his promoter's license soon. All right, well, now we got it. He's going to go off and be a promoter, but what does that mean? And the couple of details that we have is Nate comes out and tells us he's going to go do something in that world. He was very he was very clever, like a real gangster will be with the words that he used. It wasn't what he said. It's what he didn't say. And you guys will remember, it's very hard to break that down. Joe Rogan even tried to pin him down. But Nate was ready. Nate didn't really let us know. He definitely left us with the conclusion that he's going to go off and be a promoter, but he's going to do all things combat boxing kickboxing, grappling, and mixed martial arts. Okay, great. Once we understand
1: that, why do we assume he's going to put himself in the show? I mean, why do we assume that? Just because that's what we've seen before?
0: The world's best promoter, Dana White, because Dana White puts himself on so many cards. Is that why we just assumed that Nate would do that? Scott Coker, who loves martial arts, went and got a promotion business, and, and, and Scott has headlined so many of his own events, so we just figured Nate's going to go do the same thing. Bob Arum and Eddie Hearn, the only two names that even matter in the world of boxing are do-
1: because they got a promotion and they they made themselves feature matches. Nate might do that. Nate might go put himself
0: out there. And by the way, it won't be undone. Floyd Mayweather's done that for years. Golden Boy promotions. Golden Boy stuck himself out there. I mean, you can go do it. I, I wouldn't write it off. But how many times is Nate going to fight? How many times has Nate been fighting? Once a year? Twice a year? I don't believe he kept the three-time-a-year schedule for a meaningful period of time. Not since maybe just right coming out the ultimate fighter. I think he's been more limited. I'd have to look that up. But if Nate's going to fight once a year or at most twice a year, oh, by the way, he's only got a handful left to do it, then that business that we believe he's starting and that promoter's license that we think we know he's applying for doesn't directly pertain to him. Guys, there's other ways to do it. Have you ever followed, have you ever studied, have you ever read about Seinfeld? The worst actor on Seinfeld, not even close, was Seinfeld. The best actress, by the way, on that whole program, and not even close, was Julia Dreyfus, for sure. You guys don't disagree with that. And they all did very well. You slip the George and the Kramers, you bring in Uncle Leo, you get Newman and some of these recurring guys. They all did very well, very, very well. But Jerry became a billionaire, and only Jerry. Now, Jerry was there for the same time that they were. He read just as many lines as they did. People tuned in to see them As much as they did for Jerry. Jerry became a billionaire. Why? Well, Jerry owned it. When Seinfeld goes into syndication, I'm going real quick for you here, but when Seinfeld goes into syndication and TBS goes out and buys the rights to it for five years and they want to pay $300 million for those five years, they pay that to Jerry. Jerry is under no legal obligation or even an ethical obligation right? you have industry standards. Nobody else before been in the role of producer and then came and kicked it back to the cast. That's never happened. And Julie and George and Kramer, we're not expecting them to do that. You've got a product. You've got the rights to do this. Go do it. Oh, by the way, when those five years and that $300 million got exhausted at TBS, TBS bought it for another five years, but this time for $350 million. Now, Jerry can go out and keep on doing those deals. When we talk about he's a billionaire now, those tapes aren't gone. That's not getting pulled off of TV. He is very likely to go make another billion dollars. Now, I'm going to give you a real fast rundown of this business of which nobody understands, but I have begged for you guys. I have begged and pled for you guys that have wanted a front job with the money team. You want to get in the promotion business. You want to get your your, your resume to Floyd Mayweather. You want to get picked up. I have begged you to understand the money team's not real. That is not an office anywhere. Nowhere in there do they have an art department. Do they have a digital department? Do they have a PR team? Do they have a marketing team? They don't have any kind of team. They filled out some paperwork and turned it in with the Nevada State Athletic Commission. That's what the money team is. It is garbage. But if you can find a fool to do a co-promote with you and put you down as a promoter, whatever you did lives on into perpetuity, no matter how many times you want to renegotiate. Now, you've got to have a fool to team up with you, but Floyd finds fools all the time. McGregor Sports and Entertainment, their big plan was to book Croke Park and bring Connor in and do big business. You could. That is one way to do it. You could go put your office and put your staffs together. You could bring in some big money and have really big expenses. You could, or you could just do what Floyd did, which is fill out the paperwork and make somebody put you as a co-promote. And I don't think there's any reason to believe that Nate Diaz isn't smart enough to understand what I just said. Now, he may be planning to put on actual events. I think that he is. He may be planning to put himself on one of those events, maybe even their debut one. He could get out his role. I'm I'm on a group thread right now with Gilbert, Nick, Nate, Jake Shields. He could send a message to that group, and boom, he just found five guys that are going to come out and do it for him on a favor.
1: I mean, he's got these abilities, but that isn't sustainable. He fights once to twice a year. He's got how many more years of that left? He cannot
0: put himself in the main event. He cannot put himself on a high profile spot on each one of these cards. At some point, the card is going to have to go and live on. Khabib might be a more recent example for you guys. Khabib started Eagle FC, but he never fought on his own event, and he has absolutely no plans to fight on his own event. You can work within your business, or you can work on your business. I have no insight. I really don't have a a tremendous interest in guessing for you which direction that is going to go. I will remind you, as I continue to hear Jake Paul versus Nate Diaz, I got no problem with that, guys. I just don't have any evidence, and neither do you that that's going to happen, or that that's even been planned and discussed to be going to happen. Brendan Schaub. Now, Brendan Schaub and I are very close, and you have friends, right? You have friends, and that means, boy, you got some friends, you got your boys, you got your buddies, but then you have teammates. You have workout partners. And it's not always the same. There is not always a social life with these guys. There's not always an exchanging of phone numbers. Matter of fact, you might have a guy within your own weight class. Guy that you got to deal with. Guy where your gym got an opportunity for a weight. The coaches gave it to him. It was down to him and you and they gave it to him. Create hard feelings. That's all I'm sharing. This might be somebody that you don't like. Somebody that you don't get along with. You'll love that person though. And you might want to hit him you might want to beat him and you might want to take his spot away, but you would not let anybody else. Just one of those things, a teammate and a workout partner and somebody that you shared the room with and you share those experiences that you trusted with your body and they trusted you with yours, even though there's going to be punching and kicking, there's still a trust. It just goes into a different category. And this was what Brendan means to me. And I just, I just want to offer that. Just so want to offer a full disclosure because a number of years ago, some of Brendan's tighter circle was Joe Rogan. It's Brian Callen to be specific. And they did this public. They sat down on the Joe Rogan show. That's not what he calls it, the Joe Rogan program. The JRP, they sit him down. They say to him, we don't want you to fight anymore. It's an intervention. And it hurt. Uh, they caught him off guard. One thing about an intervention is the person doesn't know it's coming. You're greatly outnumbered, but you're outnumbered by people whose opinions will influence you. You like them, you trust them, and you don't know about it. Okay, so they sit him down, they do this intervention, they aired it for the world. It was very hard for Brendan to hear, and I don't think Brendan had any kind of a hard time hearing, hey, stop fighting, Brennan already had other careers he was going to go into. Brennan already had his girl and he knew I'm going to become a father in a family. He knew there was another life out there for him. He knew that at the time. I don't think that's what he had a hard time hearing. I think he had a very hard time finding out that those that he trusted most didn't believe in him. Now, this is my guess. I had a different opinion at the time. I watched this show, and it bothered Brendan the way they talked to him. It bothered me as much as it bothered Brendan, but I had different information. I had information that Joe and Brian didn't, which was the training room, which was how the preparations were going. Brendan was there on time every day. He never left early, and he never missed practice, and he did two of them a day. Came and trained with us at rain, Then in the evening he went and boxed. I think he was even going to wildcard, just to name drop. But I knew he was putting the time in. Now, if you want to get real specific, at the rain training center, it was search and destroy. You find your opponent, boom, 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 you hit your opponent. Every technique that we did was based on that. When Brendan would go into the wild card, he met a coach who saw how light Brendan was on his feet, saw how well as as a heavyweight he could move, and talked him into and instructed him into footwork, into keeping distance. Now, those two juxtapositions of trainers and coaches, one getting inside, boom, boom, the other one staying outside, scoring some points, moving around, make sure you don't get hit, as opposite as those are, they actually work beautifully together. That contrast actually works beautifully together, but it takes time. It takes, you gotta work work some of these things out. Brendan was working that live in front of the world. That was all that Joe and Brian were seeing. And Joe and Brian weren't able to take into account why you're seeing different performances. They weren't able to take into account what Brennan's trying to do. Respect that he's showing the coaches things he's been working on in the room, what he's trying to do in live action. Oh, by the way, he wasn't quite polished for it. I'm going down a different road, okay? But I haven't forgot the day that happened. I never weighed my opinion ever. First time I've ever spoken. I didn't call Brennan on the side. I, I stayed out of it. He had his circle that's who that was going to be. But I had different information. And I had different reasoning for why some of the performances, real broken down specifically two positions that he was finding himself in. I had different reasoning as to why we were getting there. And I was very bullish at the time. And I remain there today had he just had a little more time. He never turned a fight down, Brendan Schaub. He never skipped a date. Right? Every three, four months, he's in there. We could have just waited. We could have pushed it to his next fight is seven months from now. All these problems would have been solved. I believe that. But I'm now hearing people having very tough talks with Tony Ferguson. And they're not his inner circle. They're his peers. There's us. It's our community. I don't know who is within Tony's inner circle. I don't know. I was told that he went out and trained at Jackson Wink, but Jackson and Wink were not in the corner. Now, Gibson was, and that was the representative. But Kenny was the head corner man. Kenny lives in California. I'm told that Tony left California and he went out to Albuquerque. The point is, I don't fully know what went on with his training. I don't fully know. And I saw something different than many people did. Daniel Cormier spoke very clearly on this, and it was tough talk. But you got to have tough talk, particularly from guys that are leaders like Daniel. And Daniel said, it is over. He said, I don't know what within that performance, I don't care about the outcome. I didn't like the way Tony performed. And I don't know what within that performance would lead Tony to believe it's a good idea to ever do this again. All right. Daniel has earned the right to an opinion. And Daniel is not just a former great competitor. He's a current coach. So this is his job. And maybe he doesn't oversee Tony, but he oversees guys just like Tony who are doing something, who are dedicated to something, who at some point, hey, you need to go on to call. You got four more years and you need to do this. You're just breaking through. And you has got to turn to somebody else. And he's got to say, great career. But it's time to stop competing in this field. These are tough things. So Daniel put both of those caps on. He came to his opinion. With Tony, Daniel is not alone. I think I'm the odd man out. I saw something different. I liked the fight. There was a time within that fight I thought that Nate Diaz quit. There was a time when Nate turned and walked away, and he even waved it off. Now, the referee has the right to step in and stop the fight right there. The referee just knew Nate well enough. Hey, no damages have nothing's bad. Let this moment play out. Do you guys remember that? It wasn't a full three seconds, but it was all a two. And two seconds in a fist fight, that's a long time. Think of how many punches we've seen land in two seconds because somebody got away from something. Think about arms that we've seen snap because it wasn't broken two seconds later. Two seconds in the octagon. Now, it turned out that was a setup. When Nate turned and walked away from Tony, he thought Tony was going to chase after him and Nate was going to turn back and connect. But we didn't know that. Now, we knew it the second time and the third time that Nate did that. And we saw some of these moments. I enjoyed them it's not for everybody. And I don't mean from the viewer. I mean, not every fighter could have done that. We saw 11 fights that night. If within all 11 fights, we had to turn and walk away and wave it off as, as a form of setting up, you no, know, we got a big problem with this. Nate did that same setup to Leon, just to remind you. Leon also didn't fall for it, but I saw it, so I recognized it. I see what Nate's trying to do. But in those two seconds when I really thought that he, oh my goodness, he's waving this off. He's frustrated. He feels he's done enough. He's going to wave it off. He's, I, I had the whole thing figured out. He's going to do an interview. He's going to talk about I never should have been here. I'm frustrated. You know, see, so he's trying to be done with me. I'm ready to be done with them. I'm walking out. Like I had this whole thing figured out when Nate turned back and things continue. But I'm just sharing parts of the match. I remember this. The strategy for Tony to take his opponent down by the textbook, was the right call. It was the right call. Tony had tried twice with real effort, real effort, to take Nate down to the ground. The other times Tony went for takedown attempts, it was, yeah, if I get it, great. If I don't, run, him out here moving. But two times he had put real effort in. The coaches had determined he's going to be safe on the mat. Nate's going to stay there. Tony is good enough to either control the position or win the position, but nothing bad is going to happen to him. That is what the coaches were determined. There's a fatigue that set in. There's a sweat, very hard to tap somebody out when they're sweating. I mean, just by example, you go watch a jujitsu, but they'll dry you down in between. They'll take a towel before the rounds come out because you're not going to have any action. The coaches, per the textbook, gave Tony good advice. It's true. And Tony listened, and he went out, and he did it. Now, it's caught in the left side guillotine, gets choked out, fights over, chill, how could you ever say that was good advice? Ah, okay. I liked the fight. I did. I thought they were very well matched up. Thought it was an appropriate fight. I thought that there was a fight that should have happened. But there's talks going on that Tony doesn't have anything left. Now, when I come to you from a perspective, I want Tony to be given that opportunity. I do. I will share that with you on a human level. All of those fights that Tony lost have a different story. I mean, all of them. Throw one at me. Benny Darouche. Benny DeRouche is ranked number two in the world. If I'm wrong, he's number three. Charles Oliveira. Charles Oliveira's a former, number one contender right now, champion of the world. Tony went and protected himself for 15 minutes. Michael Chandler. Michael Chandler. I don't even know how many belts... That son of a gun is one and he's pursuing another one. Oh, by the way, he's a top five guy in the world. And we don't really know where Tony's at. We understand he's not one, two, three, four, five, but we don't have evidence yet that he's not six. This is going into the fight. Now we do have a little bit clear evidence. Now we do see, but Shelly yourself and shouldn't be able to do it. He was out there protecting himself. He was out there scoring. Judges turn their cards in. Everybody else that fought on, uh, on we're done by then. I mean, these guys are in the fourth round when things go bad for Tony. Everybody else that fought on the card, now guys you love, guys that you respect, they weren't even scheduled to be that deep into a fight. Tony Ferguson's a 155 pounder. He competed at 170 pounds. Anybody else that had changed weight classes and was that competitive in a main event spot, we're not even having this conversation. Now, maybe Daniel's right. There's not, there's not three options here. There's two. Daniel's not right or Daniel is right. Maybe he is. I will share with you. I would like that to be an option. I would. And maybe we're down to the final one. Cowboy Cerrone, just for recent memory, was put in that position. This is going to be it. Enjoy it. Win or lose, though. This, this is it. Anderson Silva, was in that same position, and he was given a main event. He was put on the worldwide leader, but he was told, win or lose, this is going to be it. That's okay. I think that's respectful. I think that that's nice. I would like for Tony to be given the option I would like for it to be a choice. I think when I tell you he changed weight classes, I think when when I told you he was fighting in the fourth round, which nobody else was even scheduled to do, I think when I tell you that it was a competitive fight, and I think that I tell you when judges have him that he's winning rounds, I think the fact that his coaches told him to go and get a takedown and he listened and trusted his coaches and had the ability to go and get a takedown, I just think that there's a little bit more to it. I don't feel that that's being told. And a lot of people, you guys included, when I talk about this, are telling me, Chael, you need to go back and watch it. Chael, you, you were drunk on excitement because of the comments made by Diaz in the post-fight interview. That outweighed the show when you forgot about those 15 completed minutes. So I went back and rewatched it. I thought I saw a competitive fight, both offensively and defensively. Tony's greatest weapon is his outside leg kick. Nate blocked that 25 seconds in. Opened up that big cut. Took that weapon away. Tony Ferguson, absent of his biggest weapon, he was still holding his own. I don't think I did see that wrong. I believe there was a misunderstanding many years ago about the performances that Brendan Schaub was having. I believe there's a misunderstanding right now about the performance that Tony Ferguson just had. Guys, in a few minutes, I'm gonna tell you about something that is very near and dear to my heart. But first, let's go to UFC 280, which might end up being the biggest card of the year. Islam versus Charles Oliveira, guys. The match that can't seem to get here soon enough. The unexpected match of 2022. In terms of an anticipation, right, there's only one thing that drives this business forward. You guys are told it's exciting fights. You guys think that I tell you it's trash talk. I have never used those words ever, but that's what you guys think that I tell you, that it's about the entertainment. This is what keeps us going forward. Some of you think it's that you move arenas, that you come in and you light up different towns. Those are all pieces to a successful business, but none of them are what keeps the lights on. There is one thing,
1: one thing and one word that you can monetize. Anticipation. If somebody isn't looking
0: forward to it, they're not going to buy I have to hear this all the time about what a great fight was, and then they'll come play it later. Then I'm a fan, so I don't mind seeing those clips. I'll just share from you. Nobody can make a dollar. Perfect example would be Guffson versus John Jones, part one. To this day, one of the great fights I've ever seen. To this day, the hardest that John had ever been pushed and the closest that he ever had to drop his title. I'm, of course, not counting Reyes the night Reyes got robbed. But it was a really special moment. It was, it was one of those moments. I remember where I was. I remember who I watched it with. I remember what I was wearing. There's not a lot of times in, in life you can say that, but it was such a surprise. You know why that didn't do very uh, good business? You want to know why Gus and John's bonus checks weren't huge and life-changing? People didn't anticipate the fight. They didn't anticipate that it was going to be a war, that it was going to be Fun to watch. I only bring that to you as a, a reality to show you how important the word anticipation is. If we look back in hindsight, which so so often how we do do sports, and that's not bad from a fan standpoint. I'm I'm about the other side of the desk, doing business, doing commerce, finding a return on your investment's got to be anticipated, and as a matter of fact, that's the only thing, that it has to be the one word. Islam versus Charles would not have had that at the beginning of this calendar year. One year ago, if somebody made that match and they were going to force us to watch it, it's not guaranteed to be on the main card like it it probably would, but it's for sure not guaranteed, and it's equally as for sure not a feature match where that's a a co-main or a main event. Even this year, even three days prior to Charles Oliveira's fail scale, and prior to Charles's performance over Gaethje, Islam versus Charles doesn't work. You could do the fight. The rankings might even in some way force you to do the fight, but us, the audience, it's a very interesting one. From that perspective, 12 months ago, they likely weren't going to fight. If they did, you didn't care. And if they did, you're a better bet to say they're on the undercard. So talk about how things have changed. Now, what's going to happen in that fight? I'll tell you what. Oliveira is not happy
1: with you. Oliveira has a genuine chip on his shoulder about being a 3-1 to
0: underdog, genuinely. That bothers him,
1: but he is a three-to-one underdog, and as Team Oliveira started to come out, they started to say their piece, and they started to tell you
0: why he could do this. They even went as far as to say why Islam's not the right guy to be in there. They let out a very compelling case, and it wasn't his records in terms of wins or losses. It was the opponents that he beat and where those opponents were ranked in comparison to Charles's path here. I mean it was it was a real literal. It was like a court case. They weren't just throwing words back and forth. They weren't just looking for emotions. They dug deep, went for facts, put it before you. Guess what happened to that three-to-one line? DraftKings moved it to three and a half to one, favoring Islam. When they heard Charles's case, people came and they bet on Islam. I'm gonna ask you as time ticks down, who wins that fight? And that's all I want to know. You want to throw in how? you want to throw in triangle choke, uh, cut from an elbow, I'll listen. But all I want to know is who wins real straight up. Now, when I told you I didn't want to see this fight, and I'm speaking for the collective us, including three days before Oliveira beat Gaethje. Even then, I did not want to see this fight. I don't know that it was immediately after when we all flipped, but it was pretty quick. You know, I didn't want to see the fight because I know what's going to happen. You want to know what's going to happen? Islam's going to take him down and keep him there. The first time Islam tries to get him down, he will succeed. The next time he tries to get him down, he will for sure succeed, only easier. And in the following round, it's going to take very little effort to do it. And once Islam gets him down once, that round is a wrap. Whatever happened, whatever strikes, whatever positional, whatever rubber guard, any way that you want to talk about it, just five, four or five minutes later, because all three judges are going to have the same way. 10, 9, favoring Islam. Well, let me put the brakes on you. So I think you guys agree with me. I think that's what the, the 3 to 1 represents. I don't think you guys think that Islam's going to go out, touch up the body, come upstairs, land a wheel kick. No, I don't think so. I think you think he's going to throw him down and bludgeon him when he gets there. I think any of you that have already bet and took Islam, even at 3-1, to or you got it a little late and you had to go 3.5-1, to took it for the reason that I just said, because Islam's going to take him down, keep him there, and bludgeon him in between time. Am I right? I mean, I know I'm real close, for sure. That's the way we see this
1: fight. Well, guess what? Islam says otherwise. Islam Makulchev, who has every right to play
0: gamesmanship, who has got, got every incentive for mental games. I understand those things. Those just aren't within his past. It's not something that he's ever done before. And Islam Makal Chedlik laid this fight out for us. And you know what he said the first round is? The first round that you and I are confident he's going to cut him off, take him down, keep him there. He says he's going to use it to warm up. He, he not, even, not even proclaiming he's going to win the round. Tony might win the round. But within those five minutes, I'm going to learn everything that I need to learn. In the second round, I'm going to take him to deep waters. Now, the, we got some stupid expressions in this sport, but deep waters is amongst them. Because you understand, there's no water in there. I mean, it was a stupid expression the first time that it came out in 2002 and how it stuck around. Now it's not only transcended generations, it's transcended cultures. When you don't speak very good English, you're learning it, but some prick tells you what deep waters is. Like, that's weird for me, considering it's a metaphor anyway, but he's going to take him into the deep waters. That means I'm going to get him tired. That means I'm going to wear him down. Now, that that's a big statement. That's a lot to ask of yourself in minutes six through ten but I'm listening. Now we get to the third round. That's where Islam finishes the job. That's where he throws him down, gets to the appropriate positions, does enough damage that the referee steps in, pulls him off, or Oliveira turns over, shows him the back, and the fake rear naked choke that's dominated our industry for decades gets applied. This is according to Islam. Now, that's interesting to me because I thought that Islam would just, I thought it's going to be rinse and repeat. I thought anybody that's betting on Islam, it's rinse and repeat. It's not Islam gets him down in the third round. Islam gets him down and does a lot of damage in the fourth round, closes the night off with some more positional domination in the fifth round. I thought it was from the opening bell. That's what I've seen Islam do to everybody else. Why would this fight be different? In Islam's other fights, as a matter of fact, in no other fight did Islam
1: ever use the first round to warm up. That simply never happened. It would not be reasonable to think that Islam is going to change strategies for this round. Islam's watching Tony, Charles. Islam's seeing within Charles something that impresses him. Islam, as he studies his opponent, Charles
0: Oliveira, is seeing something that he believes is going to offer a greater resistance than he's prepared to overcome within that round.
1: That's what that was an omission of. What does he see? What is it that Charles is doing? Is he too strong too early?
0: Is his length a problem? Is his footwork a problem? Is the knees up the middle a problem? What is it that he's seen, Islam, that in the first round... He's not confident he's even going to win the round. He's confident the whole fight. He can break him in the second. He can finish him in the third. Okay, this isn't lacking confidence. This wasn't meant to be nice. This was a guy who answered a question and told you how he was truly feeling. Why is he not going to win the first round? And if he does, why is it going to look different than the other rounds? And if Islam doesn't believe that he can rinse and repeat five times over, if he does not believe that, It would appear that's pretty damn good action at three to one. So guys, I love to pay homage to our wrestling teams. We got the Greco, we got the men's freestyle, we've got the women's freestyle. They're all doing such a great job. They work so hard, I just want to get attention on them. I don't have that opportunity very often. I just don't. They'll go over to events and hard places to get, right? Like, it's uh, Ajabastan, or they'll be in Pakistan Like, it's places like this that's hard to get to for me if I want to go as a fan. But even if I want to send a film crew, I want to go get some videos. I want to do that. They've got that locked up in, in certain ways where I can't even get the press pass in. Now, all I want for it is to be able to come and show you guys. I feel as though they deserve credit twice a day, every day, they're training. They're working really hard. Let me take you back. because See, it's very hard to be a fan. It's very, very hard to be a fan. I went to the University of Oregon. Rest at soul. The program is now dead. But I would have gone back once I had graduated. I'd have kicked in money to the first open bucket that I saw. I'd have showed up to any social events, any fundraiser, any raffles, whatever they do. I'm going to do my part. I'm a fan. I was also coaching a kids team. Very, very massive kids team. Like, if you're at a dual meet in college and you get 200 people, you got a pretty good crowd. Uh, you have the exact same crowd as every other team in the country that isn't called Penn State, Minnesota, Iowa, or Oklahoma State. You're very on brand with 200 people. I have 187 kids on the team that I'm coaching. They all have parents. All I need is to know when a match is going to be. I'm going to load up buses, and I'm going to bring down about 400 people. I will, will, will double the size of your crowd. Now, this isn't just talk. You guys know me well enough, and these are things that I would have done. I didn't get to do that. I didn't, I didn't get to take those teams that I was coaching, that all loved Oregon wrestling. Doing this with Kevin Keeney. He's also an alumni. Kevin and I are showing up in our kids' practices, but we're in University of Oregon, Churchill. The kid looked up to us. That was their dream. Their dream was to go where the coaches went. Very common. But this is what I'm going to do. And pretty soon I was like, well, hey, I'm going to catch the next one. And I found myself saying that. Oh, we're going soon. Yeah, we're going to do that. Had this guy whose dad was in the transportation business. So we got these fancy buses. They're going to take us all the way up there. I mean, this whole thing is done. We're going to meet in the high school. There's a burger joint part way down. We're going to stop there. Now, guys, I'm taking you back. The very early 2000s. I'm taking you back to 2003 with this story right now. It feels like yesterday for me, but I do remember my excuse and I remember Kevin's excuse. And I just remember we kept telling the club, yeah, hey, we're going to do that soon. We're going to catch the next one. You know how time goes by? We hit him with the next one. We hit him with, we're going to do that soon. We hit him with, we're going to pull over at this burger joint. We hit him with telling the guy that's going to supply these Greyhound style buses and get us there. We hit him that with over five years. And the truth was, we just didn't know when the match was. We just simply did not know when the match was. And now with social media and Twitters and Facebooks and Instagrams, of course, that's a lot easier to get, but it wasn't then. It was harder to get. Fast forward to where the internet is really out and thriving. Brings you to a year called 2008. I'm with Matt Lindland. Matt Linlin, 30 miles up the road from me. We train together every single day. Matt Lindland is an Olympic Silver medalist. He's a world silver medalist for the country. Okay. We got on an airplane. We got our whole day planned. We can't stay. The trials is a three day process, but we're going to pop in the day that freestyle was on the mat. We're going to get to see the conclude the championship matches of Greco. We're going to see the opening of freestyle. We got it all figured out. Schedules posted right there on the governing body's website. Matt Lynn and I make our arrangements. We fly out there. We take the cab at the airport straight to UNLV.
1: And as we're getting there, there's not a ton of people. I mean, we're looking around for cars. Even the good men and
0: women, they're going to staff the building. It takes some level of transportation to get there. We're not, we're not seeing enough cars for concession workers, for ticket takers. We're just not seeing it. Oh, by the way, we're with a woman called Cindy Wood. Now, Cindy Wood's son, Oscar, was our defending Olympian and was competing. She was on the same flight as us. And she's dashing over there just like we get there for the beginning of freestyle, being a Greco-Roman. So we get there. The doors are all locked up. We can't get in. It turned out what they posted as a day was weigh-in day. But the governing body doesn't say it was Wayne. They say this is a day of activity. So we stay for Wayne Day. Now, we only get to stay one night. want to see the whole thing. We only get to stay one night. When we get there the next day, it's women. It's Greco-Roman. And they were also going to contest judo side by side. So we see these three events, which is opposite of the schedule and opposite of what we showed up to do. Now we have to go home. We have to fly home. And this was not a matter of we misunderstood they didn't catch it and then changed the website. Like, there's ways to do history. Uh, things don't disappear. I could go find it and prove the story to you to be true right now. It never got fixed. So then the world championships roll around. That's where we are right now. That's where I bring you the great stories. And boy, do I have some stories to tell. I could tell stories on who's not there and why between the Russian and the Belarusian at 74 kilograms, which directly affects Kid Dynamite, Kyle Dake. I could just stop you right there. I could talk about the legacy continuing. Because the golden child himself, Jordan Burroughs, is back. And this time in a new field at 79 kilograms, which he has only contested one time. He's got new bodies looking at him. I could tell you all about Taylor. getting beat up with Yastani. The biggest match that UWW has the authority to sanction. And it is on a road for collision. I could get into Schneider. What it means now the Russian tank isn't there. I could get into Zilmer and the fact that he's there for his first time, but he's teammates and workout partners with the defending Olympic champion Gable and I got all this great stuff. I go back and I trust the governing body again. The governing body does an article and I've got it right here on my phone. And now I got Ben Askren and I got Aaron Simpson. I got both of them upset with me because I sent them the times. Now the time was 10:30 a.m. That's when the opening round is going to be. The governing body then, thank your lucky stars, confirmed. Right, they made a correction to confirm that this is Eastern time. Put an ET next to it, and we caught it. So we're out here in Oregon. Great, that means it's 7:30. I set my alarm. Now I'm of course up by 7:30, but whatever it is, I'm doing whatever chores I'm outside doing. Goes off. I get to run in. I'm going to keep my little boy out of school today and take him in at lunch, are going to stay home or watch the world championships? Be a great memory. There was no wrestling. It turned out that the governing body,
1: who put out the times for the world to see of 1030, that wasn't Eastern time. That wasn't
0: Central time. I don't actually even know what Central time is or why we discuss it. It wasn't
1: Pacific Standard time. It was local time. Local time in Serbia.
0: When the matches are going to begin, just in case you want to get over to the venue, just make sure that you're there on time. The local time in Serbia, when the first
1: whistle went, turns out to be 10.30 in the morning. Turned out that our
0: boys, through the opening round, Setting up for the semifinals, which is one win away from guaranteed medals. They took the mat at 1.30 a.m. where I am. I'm up at 1.30. Nothing special has to change in my life. I just have to push the button. But for those of you that were in Serbia, and for those of you that got to see it live, at least you knew to be there at 10.30. 30. All right, guys, that's it for today's episode. Thank you for listening. And remember, if you want to support the show, head on over to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen and leave us a rating. Enjoy the Sandhagen versus Song Fight coming up this weekend. I'm going to be back on Wednesday to talk about that and so much more. Until then, I'm Chael Sonnen, and you are welcome. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers.